If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 2, where we're just going to resume where we've, been, where we've been the last several Sundays. The Bible says that we are not to neglect the public reading of Scripture when we get together. So why don't you follow along with me as we read more of the Christmas story here in Luke chapter 2. Beginning in verse 22, speaking of Mary and Joseph going into the temple, it says, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms, and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. May God bless and honor the reading of Scripture. It's my privilege just to... Uh, offer the last installment of this mini-series I've called The Songs of Christmas. So please return with me to the passage of Scripture that we read just a little earlier in Luke chapter 2, and we'll be reviewing Simeon's song. As a young boy, my older brother and I grew up in a small community in Wisconsin called Reedsburg, for the first seven years or so of our life, and then while our folks divorced and then married and we moved away, we would come back to Reedsburg during the summers to stay with my dad. It was an ideal small little community to grow up, maybe six or 7,000 people. It was there where our summers were filled with swimming at the city pool, playing baseball, and fishing. The Baraboo River would go on the outskirts of Reedsburg, and it was there where any boy could could get his fill of carp fishing all summer long. And there was a, a man within Reedsburg that was sort of a fixture. Everyone knew Mr. Planky, Ken Planky. Uh, just a few blocks from the main drag of Reedsburg, up the road, he had a bait shop that he operated from the basement of his house. Now, he did not have the supply that a big hardware store or Cabela's or Fleet Farm would have, and what he lacked in supplies, he made up for in personable service. And for just a few dollars, you could get your minnows and your night crawlers and some insight as to where the fish were biting. I remember as a little boy, 
I believe it was my stepdad, we went down there in Mr. Planky's bait shop and he said, I'll buy you a lure here. And we were just on our way out to the family farm where my mom grew up and there was a trout stream. And Mr. Planky pointed to some rooster tail spinners and he said, son, you can catch some trout with those. And so I got a little spinner and within 30 minutes we were down on that stream and I would say within 10 casts I had caught a trout with that spinner. And I thought to myself, Mr. Planky knows everything about fishing. Well, as the years advanced, Mr. Planky got together with a landowner, and on the outskirts of Reedsburg, they made a pond. It was called Planky's Pond, and it was created with the vision of getting kids outside of the house and give them a love for fishing. So when I would go back in the summers, I'd get up real early in the morning, grab my pole and tackle box, meet a neighborhood boy, and we would set across the city or the village of Reedsburg on the other side of town, and we would fish. And it was quite common, if not every day we were out there, we would see Mr. Planky getting the weeds off from the shoreline of that pond. He did not have a very sophisticated instrument to do this. It seemed to me he had this large uh, lawn rake with a rope tied behind it, and he would throw that rake out as far as he could, and there was weeds that had, that had went out about 20 feet from the shoreline, and he would bring that rake back with a rope, trying to get as much weeds as he could, and he would put them up on the grass. And if you would have went up to this old man and said, Mr. Planky, what are you doing? He'd say, well, I'm just trying to get the weeds off so the kids can fish, so they can have a love for fishing here in our town. But don't you understand, Mr. Planky, that if you do this this week, those weeds are going to come right back. Well, yeah, but I'm just going to continue to do it. Mr. Planky was a fixture in that community of Reedsburg, and I suppose that I am in some way a fulfillment of his vision and that I have a love for fishing, and I want to just devote that also to my children. Well, in our passage of Scripture that we read today, we saw another old man that was a fixture in his community. Not in a small town in Wisconsin, but a fixture in Jerusalem, more specifically, the temple. Now, how old is Simeon? The Bible does not give us a a, a direct answer for that. There are sources outside of the Bible that we would not say are authoritative, but they say that Simeon was a hundred and 13 years old. Friends, that's old. And, and we can conclude that he went every day to the temple looking. What was it that kept him alive for all these years? It was a promise. It was a promise that God had made to him. If you would have saw Simeon, you might have said, what's that old man doing? Simeon, where are you going today? Well, I'm heading down to the temple, as I do every day. Well, Simeon, why are you going down to the temple? Because God made me a promise that before I die, I will see the Savior of the world. Well, Simeon, did you go down yesterday? Yes, I did. Did you see him then? No. Did you go down last week to the temple? Oh, yes, I did. Did you see him then? No. How about last month? Well, to be honest, I didn't see him last month either. Did you see him last year? No, I haven't. Then why do you continue to go? Because God made me a promise. And my God always keeps his promises. 
So we see in our passage of Scripture today that Mary and Joseph are going down to the temple. Now, what was it that led them to the temple? If you have an outline or you're taking notes, the first thing I have here is these parents were guided by the Scripture. In fact, if you look at verses 22, 23, and 24, the three verses that speak about Mary and Joseph, you will see the word either law of the Lord or law of Moses. These young parents have a desire to raise this boy in the ways of the Scriptures. So we look here at verse 22. And when the time came for their purification. Now what does that mean? God's most important attribute is his holiness. And God wanted his people, the Israelites, the Jews, to understand that they could not just come into his presence randomly, but they ought to do that reverently. So he had commands or laws. In fact, one of them was in the book of Leviticus, chapter 12, that when a woman has given birth to a child, she can't go immediately to the temple because that represents God's holiness. So there was some commands there. We could read this in, in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3, that if she gave birth to a boy, on the eighth day that child was to be circumcised. And and then in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 4, it says, after that, 33 days, this woman is declared unclean. And then after that period of time, she could offer a sacrifice at the temple. It would be best if it were a lamb, but if she didn't have enough resources for that, it could be two turtle doves. Fill in the melody line there. And, And then two pigeons. And so this is what drove Mary and Joseph to the temple that day. And I think it would be worth noting that according to Leviticus chapter 12, verse 8, the purpose of that sacrifice was for sin, a sin offering. This only undergirds the teaching that what the Bible says about Mary, that she was not the holy mother of God. Rather, she needed to offer a sin sacrifice like anyone else needed to. So there is the first thing that they needed to fulfill, that Mary and Joseph were guided by the Scriptures, was Mary's purification. The second is Jesus' dedication. In fact, we might use another word that would be more biblical here. It's actually the word redemption. That might be hard for us to fathom. How is it that Jesus needed to be redeemed? But if we go back, we see in Exodus chapter 13, this is the account of this dramatic story where God's people were under the oppression of this tyrant ruler, Pharaoh of Egypt. And in Exodus 13, there's this wonderful story of the Passover. And and Moses was told by God that consecrate to me all the firstborn. And they would not only do that, at that original moment of the Passover, but from that point forward. All the firstborn would be set aside. And the language that is used in Exodus chapter 13, verse 14 and 15, is that a sacrifice would be made on behalf of the firstborn, and is actually the word redemption. They would be redeemed for that. We might use the word dedication here. Mary and Joseph were guided by the Scriptures, and that's what led them to the temple that day. 
And as they were being guided by the scriptures, Simeon was being guided by the Holy Spirit. Now, we ought not to think that those two things are inseparable. Uh, Well, we should see them as inseparable, that the scriptures and the Holy Spirit are together. The scriptures are breathed out by God. And they will never contradict one another. So as Mary and Joseph are being guided what the scripture says, we need to have this purification sacrifice on behalf of Mary. We also need to offer a sacrifice on behalf of our firstborn child. God is doing a work in Simeon as well. In fact, look with me at the three verses that, that offer a description of Simeon. Verses 25, 26, and 27. All of them have a reference to the Holy Spirit. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And verse 27, and he came in the Spirit into the temple. Now often during Christmas season, We think of the second person of the Trinity, and we should. It is celebrating God becoming man. But we ought not to forget the Father that ordained this plan or the Spirit that has made it known to us. So what do we see here about Simeon? In verse 25, we see his name. By the way, Simeon was a common name in the Scriptures, wasn't it? It is one of Jacob's sons, Simeon. There was a tribe named after him. In the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13, we see another man named Simeon who was called Niger, a a black man. And in fact, in Acts chapter 15, verse 14, Pastor James, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, calls Peter Simeon. Now it says here in verse 25 that he was a righteous and devout man. When we see the word righteous offered in the the Bible, we ought to think that this was not something that he earned, that a status that he achieved. Rather, it was a state that was granted to him by God. Like Abraham, who, who believed in God and it was credited to him as righteous. We also see a follow up there that he was not only righteous, but he was devout. There was evidence that he had become a follower of God because he had obedience. He was devoted to God and the things of God. It says here in verse 25 that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, what does consolation mean? Well, when we have a loved one, a family member that has experienced loss, we want to console them. What do we mean by that? We want to comfort them. And Simeon was waiting for his people, the people of Israel, to experience this comfort that would be given to them through a person. You see, the Israelites had experienced also for hardship over the generations, whether it was by the Assyrians, we could even go back to the Egyptians, we could go back to their battles with the Philistines, we could go back to the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, as we see here in the first century. And what he is longing for is relief to be brought. But the greatest relief they needed was for their sin. So he is waiting for that. And we see in the next verse, verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. The word Simeon means here. 
to hearing. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. I, I take from that, loved ones, that Simeon was not a novice. He was not a casual follower of God. He was not nostalgic about Israelite history. Rather, I think that his devotion was so close to the heart of God that what mattered to God's heart mattered to his heart. He was so burdened for his own people that he said, God, before I die, would you allow my eyes to see the Savior that will save the people from their sin? To think of a contemporary parallel, it might be this. God, I have such a burden for the people of Green Bay in, in Brown County and the people around me within my family and extended family. God, don't let me die until I see that they hear the gospel and that they receive Jesus with their life. This is what Simeon's heart was for. Don't take me until I see Jesus. And then it says in verse 27, And he came in the Spirit into the temple. Simeon, where are you going? I'm going to the temple. Why? I go there every day anticipating that I will see the Messiah. And so on this particular day is the day that he had been waiting for. As he walks into the temple, across the the room, there is this young couple, maybe a 13, 14-year-old young mom and her her husband there. And the Spirit prompts and says, that is the Messiah. And so he makes his way across the room. And I'm putting myself in Mary and Joseph's shoes because I remember what it was like with our first child. We were very protective. We didn't put that little boy in the nursery. And we certainly didn't want your kids poking and prodding its cheeks. We didn't want anyone touching that child. And so here you have this old man sawshaying his way across the temple grounds and saying, I know this is unusual. I know you don't know me, but it would mean everything in the world if you would allow me just to hold that child. Now, he's about 40 or 41 days old at this time, and he holds that child. And the Scripture says here in verse 28 that he blessed God. He blessed him. He offered his words of thanksgiving and worship to God that he had fulfilled his promise to him. So what else came out of his mouth? Well, here is Simeon's song. I don't know about you, but when you are experiencing an answer to prayer, joy of fulfillment of a a promise that God has given to you, do you break out into a song? Well, that's the pattern that we have seen in our series, whether it was Zechariah, whether it was Mary, or whether it was the angels last week. They break out in joy. And I don't know if they could sing or not, but it didn't matter. They just offered up praise, and that praise is rooted in Scripture. So we see here in verse 29, here's the opening lines of the song. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Here's the first thing. I can now depart in peace. The word depart is packed full of application. It's this thought that I have served my master faithfully for all these years and now he can release me into eternity. 
It's this picture of a, of a large boat that's docked, that has this massive rope that's tied around the dock, and unwinding that rope and, and allowing it to depart into eternity. It, it, it's this idea of, of living in a tent for a while and allowing the tent pegs to be brought up so that you no longer live there but can go to the heavenlies in the sky where you belong. And so Simeon is saying, God, you fulfilled your promise. My eyes have seen the Savior, and now I can depart in peace. You fulfilled your promise. The second thing we see here is that when I saw Jesus, I saw salvation. Look with me at verse 30. The second part of this song is, For my eyes have seen your salvation. To see Jesus was to see salvation. To see Jesus made it possible for you to be forgiven of your sins. What was it that the angels said to Joseph in Matthew 1, verse 21? She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And and decades after this, Peter in Acts chapter 4, verse 12 said, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. God's solution for our sin pandemic was not a vaccine, but it was a person. In college, my roommate was on the basketball team. I don't know that I ever paid once for a basketball ticket. I I would just go to the table where they were taking admission and say, I know Joe. And they would say, okay, but does Joe know you? And they would look on my name and they were, okay, yeah, you can go on. Here is your admission. And there is salvation along with one person. Do you know Jesus? And does Jesus know you? Then this, this song and the remaining words of Simeon in our passage close with three metaphors or three pictures. So let's look at these in order. Look with me at verse 32. The first picture is that of light. He is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And do you know that that would have been a shocking message for the people that day? That Jesus was a light to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. This would have been staggering to them. What is a light? A light helps illuminate the way, doesn't it? To, to shed focus so we can see what we are doing. Over the last several weeks, a dear man within our church helped with a home repair. We had a ceiling fan in our bathroom that was not working. He says, I would, I would love to, to help you with that. And so he came, he turned that, that breaker off so there was no power there, and I saw him put a headlamp on. And with a bright light, he looked up and he, he unhooked the old one and hooked the new one up. But he needed light to know what he was doing. And Jesus is the light that, that provides illumination for how we can have a relationship with God. We see this echoed throughout the, the book of Isaiah in chapter 42, verse 6. For he said, I am the Lord. I have called you in the righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light to the nations. 
Jesus said of himself in John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Light not only illuminates, but it also exposes the darkness, doesn't it? We have a little arrangement with my boys. I'll wake them up in the morning and they'll say, Dad, we will get up, but whatever you do, don't turn that light on. And why is that? Because when we turn the light on, it hurts their eyes exposes and chases out the darkness. And that's exactly what this baby, Jesus, would do. And it would say in John 3.19, the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So the first picture is that of light. The second one we see is that of a sign. And so we look here in verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Have you ever been driving down the road or highway or maybe even on a bike trail and you will see a sign that is opposed to you and it infuriates you? This is the picture that was given to us about Jesus. For some reason, a few years ago, I had the day off on the 4th of July, and it seemed like a good idea at the time to go up the Peninsula State Park on the 4th of July. And if you know that, that's one of the most popular state parks in all of, the, of Wisconsin. It seemed like a good idea as we drove in, and, and we were looking for a place to park. We realized it was not a good idea because there was no place to park. And we were looking for any stretch of grass that we could just pull up our vehicle. And there were these signs that were posted that says, no parking here, violators will be towed. And suddenly I got into a conversation with these signs. Well, where am I supposed to park? I don't know, but you're not parking here. Well, why have you let all these vehicles in here if there's no place to park? I don't know, but you're not parking here. Violators will be towed. And Jesus Jesus is a sign. You'll see here in that verse it says that there will be those that will fall and those that will rise. He will be a stumbling stone. For those who humble themselves and say, the only hope I have is 100% in the grace of God, he will be a blessing to you. But those of you who, who in your own independence, in your pride, you will say, I, I, I don't need him. He, he will cause you to fall. I think of a few summers ago in one of our road trips, we were driving out west on the highway. And we come across the sign that says, this is the continental divide. And, and we pulled off and we looked at that sign and it said here, everything that flows west of this mountain range flows to the Pacific Ocean. And everything that flows on the east side of this mountain range goes to the Atlantic Ocean. You got no choice. You're either going to the Pacific Ocean, you're going to the Atlantic Ocean. Jesus is like that continental divide. You have to choose. You cannot remain neutral. You know, it's December 27th, and we've got a long time for the next Christmas. Many of you make your own Christmas cards and do a phenomenal job with that. Can I give you a verse for next year's Christmas card? Just jot this down. Luke 12, verse 51. It says this. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No. I tell you, but rather division. Jesus has said, 
my ministry, who I am, is going to divide. And so there is a sign that is opposed. People are not going to like this. Can you imagine being Mary and Joseph being told There's one other sign, rather, it's a, a picture or a metaphor, and that's exclusively for Mary in verse 35. And it says, and a sword will pierce through your own soul too. So here's the third picture, is that is of a sword. What would you use to describe seeing your son crucified on a cross? I think a sword piercing through you is probably a pretty good description. And this is what Simeon says. In John 19, verse 25, we see Mary is right there at the foot of the cross observing this. It's it's as if a sword's going to go through your soul. So, So there you have this passage. Not only do you have the Scriptures guiding Mary and Joseph and the Spirit guiding Simeon, but you also have, in the following verses, 36, 37, a prophetess that kind of confirms this. So let me just read to you about Anna. In verse 36, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from where she was a virgin. And then as a widow, until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. You not only had the scriptures, you not only had the Holy Spirit, but you had a gifted individual that says, Simeon is right. This is true. This is the baby. This will be the Savior. The waiting of redemption is over. What's the point of this passage? I think it falls in line with all the other Christmas passages. It all points to that this baby is different. This baby is born as the Savior of the world. And that is true. And the point of this particular passage is this. As Simeon longed to see Jesus, you are to long to see Jesus as well. And as Simeon made sure that he saw Jesus before he died, you are, to, you are to, with urgency, make sure that you see Jesus before you die. Now, he saw Jesus physically. But I'm calling on you to see Jesus through the eyes of faith, to realize that he has come to save you of your sins, to humble yourselves, to repent, that you might know him as your Savior. I believe that is the main teaching of this passage. However, there are times where our family goes on a hike and it's a well-worn path, and sometimes there's some offshoots off to the side. And we'll, we'll meander down that path and we'll see a meadow, maybe a valley, maybe a, a, a waterfall, or maybe even this beautiful bay. And so would you allow me to meander a little bit from this passage of Scripture to think of another application for this text for us. In fact, I have it here in the conclusion in your outline. It says this, Simeon's story not only reinforces that Jesus was born to save, but also illustrates the fruit of waiting on the Lord. I think when we look at Simeon, he was waiting for the consolation. He was waiting for the comfort to be brought to Israel. 
And you and I have all sorts of opportunities to wait, do we not? When we go through our drive-thru and get your Diet Coke or your latte, we are in a waiting line. In fact, we have rooms that are set aside at the dentist or at the doctor, and they're actually called, get this, waiting rooms. In fact, even in the emergency room, you have what is called a waiting room, which seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? You could have blood coming out of your eye socket and and parts of your body dangling that shouldn't be dangling, but you will be in the waiting room because there's someone worse off than you are. Because if they don't get into surgery in the next 15 minutes, they could die. And they say to us, will you just wait in the waiting room? I know you're in pain, but just wait. And, And God calls us to wait. To wait on him and Simeon's story helps fulfill the fruit of waiting. This week I come across a wonderful little story that illustrates this. There was a king of a certain country that was growing old and he had no son to succeed him. He announced to all the people that he would choose an heir to the throne among the young men of the country by a competitive test which would give all an equal chance. On the day appointed, a great number of young men presented themselves. A certain test was made and some failed while others passed. Then other tests came and each time some were rejected to at last there were only three left. They were put through test after test, but all seemed equally able to meet them. So the king announced through his heralds that on the next day the matter would be decided by a foot race. Course was marked off, the judges were in their places, and all was ready. Just as this time a man came to each of the contestants and said secretly to them, The king is taking special note of you. Do not run when the signal is given until the king gives you a special signal. The three took their places, eager for the race. The signal was given. One bounded forward quickly, then hesitated and stopped. Then another sprang forward after him, upon which the first started forward again, and they ran for the goal with all speed. The third stood looking anxiously at the king and the two runners, murmuring to himself, I can make it. I can make it yet. The king gazed at the runners and gazed no no heed to the one still standing. The waiting man thought himself forgotten and soon realized that it would be impossible for him to win the race. He felt that all was lost for him. The two runners ran at top speed, reaching the goal together. They were brought back, and all three stood before the king. To the first he said, Were you not told to not run until I gave you the signal? Why then did you run? Oh, I forgot, said the man. Of the second he asked the same question. His reply was, I thought it would be but a moment till you would give the signal. Seeing the other man running, I ran also. And to the third he says, And why did you not run? Because you did not give me the signal, sir, he answered. My son, said the king, I knew that you could all run, but I did not know that you could wait. So the young man found the test was not a test of doing, but of waiting. And thus the Lord said to me that day, I knew you could run. 
I knew that you would work with all your strength, but can you wait on me? You know, this message is not about waiting on God, but there are certainly promises that come by waiting on God, isn't there? Here's a few verses that I'll just give to you. There are blessings that come. Isaiah 64, verse 4. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. There are all these blessings set aside for those that will wait on God. There are, there's strength that God provides. And we know Isaiah 40, verse 31, those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. As we are waiting, we get courage and we get strength. And then there is stability. Listen to what Psalm 40, verse 1 through 3 says. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He lifted me up from the pit of despair out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon rock and made my footsteps firm. Did you hear it? He was panicking. He was slipping and sliding all over the place. And then he waited on the Lord. And then God gave his footsteps where they were firm and sure-footed. And then listen to verse 3, which I think Simeon was the fulfillment of. After that, it says, He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. As we wrap up the year 2020, are there some things in your life that you thought for sure you wouldn't have to wait on anymore? As we look at Simeon's story, we see, yes, Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the Savior. Perhaps we see from this passage also that God is asking you to wait. Wait a little longer. The best mother I know is my wife, Melody. And and as we were just embarking on being up parents, I remember her very wisely instilling into our newborn children the value of waiting. They were only a week, a few months old, and she made it clear to them that we were not going to run to the crib every time they cried. Now, this was not neglect, but this was very intentional. This was as if to say, listen, our world does not revolve around you, little boy. Our world revolves around God. And we want your world to revolve around God as well. And you are not the center of our family. You are a member of our family. So we care about you. We're going to provide for you. We're going to protect you. But we are not going to come to you every time you cry. It's a good lesson for you to learn as a one-week-old because when you become a Christian one day, by God's grace, you're going to have to learn how to wait on him as well. Is God having you wait on him? Look at Simeon. And, and maybe there's not a lot of principles here of a strategy, but, but you see within him that God always keeps his promises. God gives us moments to wait throughout our day, doesn't he? And in a world of technology, we want to fill that by glancing at our phone and checking our emails, our texts, whatever social media platform, because we just can't let our minds be neutral. 
We have to have them stimulated. We have to have always something going on in our minds. But throughout this day, God is going to give you moments just to wait. And I want to encourage you, instead of allowing your mind just to be stimulated or overstimulated, why don't you just pause and think of the blessings of God. Pause and and maybe reflect on this passage today. Or pause and, and maybe you're memorizing a verse and you just think on that. You know, that happened for me last night. I didn't get all the Christmas presents. I got something for the boys and it needed another part, so I'm over at Best Buy. And as I'm coming out of Best Buy, I get a text of, of someone going through a crisis and said, would you please pray for me? And I set my phone down and I thought, yeah, I'll pray for you, but, but I was going to listen to some podcast here quick. Let me do that. And as I'm about ready to put it in drive and start heading home, and I thought, this is exactly what I'm going to be preaching about tomorrow. I've got to allow these time of waiting waiting for me to get from this spot to this spot to use it for God. And I thought, no, I don't need to listen to that podcast. I need to pray for this person that's in need right now. And so when we're in our drive through when we're in the checkout lane, when we're in the waiting room, to be able to see people and say, this is a person that I could talk to. I wonder where they will spend eternity. I wonder if they need an encouraging word today. May God use us to make use of our waiting on him. Let's pray together. Father, as we look at this passage today, we we see an opportunity for us through the eyes of faith to see that our Savior has been born. And as Simeon says, I'm not going to depart until I see Jesus. May we have the same urgency. God, I want to see you. I I want my sins to be forgiven. And I pray that for for anyone here today, if they've never trusted you, that they would do that this morning. Then there's another meandering path that I think we could look at from this passage. And that is the fruit of waiting. And may we not just fill this time with stimulation of silly little games or silly little social media platforms or just uh, mind-numbing activity. But I'm, I'm preaching to myself now. May I use these times of waiting wisely, praying conversations that are steering towards wholesome things to be a blessing to others. God, you've given us these Moments throughout the day where we can wait. May we use them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Not only do we wait, but this song that we're going to sing for an invitation speaks about God waiting on us to give our life to Christ. So if there's a way that I can pray for you, answer any questions, I'll be here at the front during this time of invitation. Let us not make him wait anymore. May we give our lives to him. Maybe as you reflect on these words, the Lord would give you a time to pray right during this time as we're singing about giving you the grace to wait on him throughout the day. Let's stand together and let's sing.